Well, we are still under shelter-at-home orders due to COVID-19 coronavirus. Thank you to all of you for joining us online, and we continue our study in the Gospel of Matthew. Well, as you well know, millions are now out of work. Hundreds of thousands of people have been infected with the virus. The U.S. government has agreed to three stimulus packages so far to help those afflicted by the pandemic, and I understand that they may be looking to introduce a fourth package. Last week, they agreed to spend about $2.2 trillion to immediately deal with this crisis. And during this time, people are feeling anxiety and depression and fear. And as they watch the news, there is no other news. The focus is entirely on this one story. During a recent news broadcast uh, this past week, um, an ad came on from Billy Graham Evangelistic Organization. Billy's son, Franklin, was featured trying to assure people of the hope they can find in Jesus during this pandemic. And it's clear that his intended audience is to unbelievers. But he told them that Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. But that verse does not apply to unbelievers. It is an assurance for those who are already believers. Then he told his viewers that if they have never asked Jesus into their hearts, they need to simply pray this prayer. And in the prayer, he mentions sin, acknowledge that you sin, and that you should be sorry for your sin. But he never once mentions the fact that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins, that he was buried, or that he rose again the third day. That is the good news. That is the gospel message. And Paul says that that message of the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. But if Franklin doesn't even preach the actual gospel, then a person cannot be saved by simply praying a prayer. What is the gospel? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. I was so disturbed by Franklin Graham's false hope that I wrote to him and to the organization to challenge them to preach the gospel, not some man-made formula that cannot save anyone. And this brings me to our message this morning, because Jesus is calling people to himself, and he's calling people not just to believe in him, but to follow him no matter what the cost. We cannot sugarcoat the gospel. We cannot pretend that a life of discipleship is easy or that the road ahead is problem-free. That would be a lie. And in our study today, you will see that Jesus does not mislead people or inoculate them from the truth of what it means to follow him. We come to him as our Savior and have our sins forgiven, and we submit to him as our Lord. People 
should really be counting the cost of following Jesus. And so that's what we want to look at this morning, counting the cost of following Jesus. In Matthew's gospel, <laughs> excuse me, uh, chapter 8, verses 18 through 22, let's take a look at this. Now, when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came to him, or came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now I want you to imagine for just a minute that you are at your hometown parade, that is whenever they lift the ban on um, public gatherings, and your town is a military town and it respects each of the branches of the military. And as each branch of the military passes your way on this parade route, you hear their bands playing their particular military song. And you see the neatly pressed dress uniforms, the shine of their shoes, their polished instruments. And you hear the commander shout out orders and everyone falls into place. They are marching in unison. They're in fine array. Not a single person is out of step, and their drill teams are the finest of the finest. Your heart swells with pride for, the, for your country. Your patriotism uh, takes over, and you're so caught up in the moment that you want to be a part of this, and you immediately run down to the recruitment office, and you sign up for military service. You want to be a part of this parade. And today... There are people who see the hope, the joy, the peace, the assurance, and the future that God gives to and promises to his followers, and they want that too. Some people listened as Jesus preached, and they were moved by the sound of his voice. Some watched him as he commanded demons to come out of people, and they obeyed him. They watched as Jesus touched and healed everyone, and they were made well. And as they watched, they were caught up in the moment, wanted to be part of the movement, and they immediately said, Lord, Lord, I will follow you. But to think that the military involves only a marching band and a drill team and finely pressed uniforms belies the fact that true military service results in blood, sweat, and tears. The battlefield is not like the parade route. Jesus calls us to himself, not just to believe in him for salvation, but to live a sacrificial life for him, honoring him as our Lord and our King. Paul writes in Philippians 1, 29, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. If you really want to follow Jesus, you need to count the cost. What does it mean to follow him? And the answer to that question is heard in what Jesus says to three people who claimed they wanted to follow him. The first one is uh, found, 
here in this passage a certain scribe. And I'm going to say about the scribe that his problem was, my comfort comes first. Let's read it. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You know, it's true that many people want to follow Jesus as long as he does not disturb any of their comforts of life. You know, we like our security. We want the security of a good paying job, a comfortable home, a large bank account, a guaranteed income, social security. We don't want anything to disturb our peace and serenity. And somehow we think that if we can just tiptoe through life without a single scrape or a bruise, then that's the life for me. That seems to be what the scribe wanted as he told the Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus did not question him, but simply stated the truth. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Basically, if you're going to follow Jesus, you may not have a place to sleep. And you think about this for just a minute. Jesus is God in the flesh. And his mission involved humbling himself to become a man. He was born in a barn. He was laid in a cattle trough. He was not born in a gold-lined castle, nor ushered through life on a great white steed. He was despised and rejected. The Bible tells us this. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He did not own a house. He often spent his nights on the hillside in prayer to his father. And we often forget that the Lord, in many ways, lived like a homeless person. And he pointed out that even the creatures that he created, like foxes, they have holes or dens provided by the Lord. He pointed to the birds. God gave them the intelligence to make nests. The psalmist said in Psalm 84.3, Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus came into this world that he had made, which we enjoy, and yet it was an inhospitable place for him. The Creator was rejected by his own creation. There was no room for him in the inn. There was no place for him to lay his head. And so we have to ask, is there a place for Jesus in your life today? And if you follow him, will you count the cost? The teaching of these verses really struck me early on as a new believer. And I remember that I made a purposeful choice in my early 20s, to follow Jesus no matter what the cost. At that time, I did not know where I would live. I chose to enter into full-time Christian service without any support whatsoever. I knew that Jesus had called me, and I knew he promised 
he would provide for me. And here I am now, 41 years later, and I can tell you, as David said, I have been young and am now old, and I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Our choices count, but we must count the cost. I shared the story with you recently about a time shortly after I had met Krista, and I had told her that I had chosen to live a life of faith, trusting in God to provide for all my needs, and that I would continue to live that way even in marriage. I told her that I don't want to pressure you to live like this, and I would understand if it's too much for you. And I told her, I still will love you and respect you even if you walk out of my life. But I, want, well, I wanted her to enter into a relationship with me with her eyes wide open. And that is what Jesus is saying to this certain scribe. Now, as you know, Krista said that she also wanted to live all out for the Lord. And in our wedding vows, Krista quoted from that wonderful passage in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. She said it. She meant it. And in our marriage, we have moved five different times. That is, from house to house or apartment to apartment. But over the last 14 years, we have moved in and out of our home dozens of times, and we have literally lived out of one suitcase each for the last 14 years, unsure of where we would lay our head each night and very often sleeping in our garage. But I often remind her when we're out in the garage and we're sitting there or going to bed out there that our garage is more comfortable than being born in a barn and living with nowhere to lay our heads. And yet that is what Jesus, God the Son, did for me. What I have done for him in no way compares. And in all the changing circumstances of life, Krista has been by my side. Well, the Lord tested this disciples and said, in effect... You want to follow me no matter what? Even the animals have a place to call home. But I have nowhere to lay my head. Do you still want to follow me? The songwriter wrote these words. The song is called, Am I a Soldier of the Cross? And one of the verses says this, Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? What kind of a soldier am I? What kind of a soldier are you? And so many people start off well and trust the Lord in a burst of enthusiasm. They sign up for the parade, but they forget that we are in a battlefield. As soon as a trial comes or as soon as they become uncomfortable, they run away just as fast as they can. 
And if you're going to follow the Lord, do so with no reservations. Don't be a half-hearted disciple. Don't put your own comfort first, as this man did. The second person who came to Jesus, I'm going to say about him that what concerned him was his future and his fortune. His future and fortune came first. The verse says this, Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. And in Luke we read the additional words, But you go and preach the kingdom of God. Now there is some question as to whether the father was actually dead. You must ask, isn't, isn't it good to take care of the funeral arrangements of a father who has died? Well, sure, provided that he's dead. The scripture is clear that we are to take care of our parents. The Bible's clear about that. To do otherwise would be to deny the faith. So this statement cannot mean that his father was already dead, but that he wanted to wait for his father to die. Then, whenever that happened, he would fulfill his obligations to bury his father, take care of his father's estate, collect his inheritance, and then when everything was completed, he would come and follow Jesus. There really was no urgency in this matter at all. This delay could mean years. This delay could mean decades. It's interesting, the phrase, let me first go and bury my father, is, is still used today in the Middle East. Dr. J. Vernon McGee tells a story of Dr. Adam Smith who was quite an authority on the Middle East, had written several helpful books. He tells of one incident where he wanted to hire an Arab guide, and he explained where he wished to go. And so he was told of a young man in a certain village who would be an excellent guide. Dr. Smith went to the village and asked the young man to be his guide, and the, the guide said to him, I first have to bury my father. And there in front of his hut, sat the old gentleman as hale and hearty as you please. And what the young Arab really meant was that he could not leave because he would have to care for his father until he died. The father was the son's responsibility. So it's still a phrase that is used even to this day. And so what it meant was that the father was not dead at all. He was just going to wait it out until his father died, made sure that he got his inheritance, and then he would consider following Jesus at that time. Jesus said to this man, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. This expression means that those who are spiritually dead, in other words, the unsaved are the first dead here, and the unsaved are quite capable of handling the burial, the estate, and the distribution of the inheritance. It doesn't require a saved person to fulfill those responsibilities. Let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. And then Jesus said in Luke's gospel, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. There is a job that the spiritually dead cannot do, and that is preach the gospel. Preaching the gospel requires a saved, a saved person to speak. And if we don't make early decisions in our life to serve the Lord, we will be fruitless and we will have wasted the life that the Lord has given us and the reward that is promised to us. The year was 1979. 
And during that year, I sensed the Lord calling me into his service. But I was part of our family business. I was the only son of my parents. And like so many small family businesses, there's an expectation or even an obligation to carry on the family legacy. And I think my parents expected me to carry on the business that they had built. After all, I was their only son. As dad says, even to this day, I'm his favorite son. But the call of God was upon me and I could not deny it. And thankfully, my parents were also believers and they never stood in the way of God's calling. But suppose I had said at that time, I had quoted this verse to the Lord and said, Lord, let me first bury my father. Instead, I answered God's call in 1979. This is now 2020, and my father is still alive. And I praise the Lord for that. But this, that's 41 years later. Had I told the Lord to wait, he would still be waiting. And I would have denied the Lord the best years of my life. And who knows, I may still die before my father dies, and he may have to bury me. He has already buried my sister. You know, there's a limited time in life to serve the Lord. What hinders you? I remember preaching on this section of Scripture, and after the meeting, a very wealthy man came to me, and he said, Don, I, I really believe that the Lord is speaking to me, and he wants me to serve him. And so I am pretty blunt about these sort of things. And I said to him, what hinders you? What hinders you from serving the Lord? And he thought about it for a moment. And he kind of hung his head and he said, everything I own, I have so much. And I don't want to lose it all. And just like the rich young ruler, he walked away sad. Several years later, in the 2008 housing crash, that man lost nearly everything he had accumulated. Today, in the midst of this current pandemic, he is fighting for his life in a hospital bed. He lost twice. First, by turning from the call of God upon his life. And second, he lost everything that he told me was holding him back from serving the Lord. And it is likely he will soon die, having never served the Lord. And he will have to say that his future and his fortune came first. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. The spiritually dead can do almost everything we can do, and sometimes better. But the unsaved cannot preach the gospel. That is what we are called to do. And I often ask myself, why spend your life doing things that the unsaved can do? We are called to make a spiritual impact in this world, not a financial impact. How quickly this disciple forgot the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If you seek to serve the Lord first, he will make sure he meets all your personal needs. We are here for bigger business than being the local undertaker. 
Let the dead bury the dead. Now, Matthew's gospel ends with just these two stories, but Luke's gospel adds a third. And so we're going to take a look at that this morning as well. Luke chapter 9, verses 61 and 62. And so we'll call him another follower who says, My friends and family come first. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, to understand this scripture, we must realize that the man was not simply going to go to his family and just say the words, goodbye. This would be a long, drawn-out affair that could take days or could take weeks, and the work of the Lord would suffer for all of these delays. Let me illustrate this for you by reminding you of a passage in Genesis chapter 24, where Abraham sent his servant to go and find a wife for his son Isaac. The servant prayed for a specific sign, and God answered that prayer, and he asked Rebekah to come and marry Isaac. Rebekah ran home, told her family what God was doing, what had happened, and they invited Abraham's servant into their house so that he could tell them the story. They set food down before him to show hospitality, but he said, I will not eat until I have told you about my errand. And after describing to the family how the Lord had brought him there, how the Lord answered his prayer, Rebekah's family recognized this. They said, the thing comes from the Lord, or this thing comes from the Lord. And they agreed that she should go with him and she should marry Isaac. And so he stayed through the night. They showed great hospitality. He stayed through the night, and in the morning he got up, and um, he was about ready to return to Abraham with Rebekah, but her brother and her mother said, let the woman stay with us a few days, at least 10. After that, she may go. And so we get a glimpse into the Middle Eastern farewells. It's not a high five and off you go. It's a long, protracted event that may never end. They will always find one more long-lost uncle or some third or fourth cousin to come and say their goodbyes as well. And once again, the work of the Lord is hindered. Abraham's servant saw through this and said, Do not hinder me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they asked Rebekah, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. And so I ask you this morning, if Jesus is calling you to serve him, don't let your family hinder you. Go to your master. Be like Rebecca and say, I will go. But this would-be disciple had his priorities all mixed up. His friends and his family came first. If Jesus Christ is to have first place in our lives, then family and friends cannot hinder our service for our king. Paul even indicated that marriage itself should not be allowed to be a hindrance. In 1 Corinthians 7, 29, he says this, But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as those who have none. Jesus said to him, 
No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, I know how important families are. I have a large family, and I love them dearly. And my natural desire is to spend more time with each of them, not less. I desire to be safe and comfortable in my own home. But my service to the king has made many demands on my time with early morning phone calls, disruptions throughout the day, late night ministry. I have picked up a drunken alcoholic prison escapee at the Oakland bus station at midnight. I have taken a call from a young man strung out on drugs who wanted me to come for him at the Oakland BART station to talk, with, talk him down from suicidal ideation. Late at night, early morning, I have been called into the home of professing believers in the early morning hours who are screaming at the top of their lungs and throwing dishes at each other. Most hours of counseling are not done during business hours of nine to five. And the interruption to my family life has been felt by my wife and our entire family. But I'm not complaining. I don't look back with regret. I served the Lord. It is the life I chose. I counted the cost. And I'm telling you, this is the cost. I'm reminded every time I want to have a pity party what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for me. And I think about this often. He could have stayed in heaven. After all, he is God. But he humbled himself and took the form of a bondservant, a slave, and went to the cross to bear my sins in his own body on the tree. Think about what he has done for you. Think about what he has done for me. And if we really grasp his deep humiliation, why, after putting our hand to the plow, would we ever think of turning back? Can we be honest about things? What hinders you from loving God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength? Is it your family? If it's not your family, then what is there that hinders you from serving the Lord? For Lot's wife, it was the things in the city of Sodom. Of Sodom, The world had captured her love. For Demas in the New Testament, it was the love of this present world. It's always easy to find reasons why you cannot serve the Lord just yet. There are and always will be hindrances. What is hindering you from serving the Lord? I think about some of the excuses I've heard over the years. Lord, let me first get into college. Lord, let me first finish college. Lord, I'll serve you, but let me first get a job. Lord, I want to serve you, but please let me get married first. Lord, I'll serve you. I'll follow you. Let me first get a house. Lord, I'll serve you. Let me first have children. Lord, I want to serve you, but let me first see my children grow up. Then I'll have time for you. Lord, let me first enjoy my grandkids. Lord, I want to serve you, but I really want to get ahead in this world. 
Lord, let me retire first, then I'll have all the time in the world. Lord, let me first travel the world, then I'll serve you. Lord, let me first die. For this man, it was his friends and his family. And it appears that he turned back from following the Lord. We don't ever hear about him again. Isaac Watts penned these solemn words. Let me read the hymn in closing to you today. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, we are so grateful that the Lord Jesus Christ humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross, for us. And Lord, we have heard the gospel message of the fact that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. And we believe the gospel message that saves. It is the power of God unto salvation. But Lord, we know that you're calling us not just to believe, but to live for you to suffer for you, to not make excuses, and to really live all out for you uh, for, our, for the rest of our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you would take away the excuses from us. And Lord, really help us to focus on loving you with all of our heart, our soul, our strength, our mind, our whole being. Lord, let us love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.